Audio articles on Wilson County News made possible by Richardson Brothers Chevrolet in Floresville. Portrait of an Old Cowboy As my friend, an old cowboy, stands outside the doorway of a South Texas cafe at noon, I see in him a portrait of the life and landscape of Texas. He no longer wears Western shirts with tiny imitation pearl coverts, nap buttons, or Western cut slacks. They have been replaced by the more traditional style of clothes most men now wear in this small town. His white straw hat and boots give away the fact that he has been a cowboy. Such a hat, as he has often said, protects one from the elements and boots keeps him safe from almost anything. A white long-sleeved cotton shirt covers his arms, though it is summertime. He explains that cowboys wear them year-round to ensure that their arms are not scratched by brush when they are riding horses. Standing there, he notices changes in the sky and wind that others never observe. He looks for them out of habit. He stops as if to smell the sweet scent of the yellow honeysuckle plants outside and then opens the cafe's front door. I wonder if his thoughts return to the more wild shrubs that he had seen in his youth. They have less perfume but a beauty all their own. They remained alone residents in his now deserted hometown. Tall and thin like the windmills that dot South Texas where he was born, he ducks his head as he enters the room. One knows it is summer by the straw hat he wears. Winter would be signaled by his wearing a felt Stetson. His movements reveal a rare gracefulness as he crosses the room to join me at a table for lunch. One accustomed to handling horses and cows and avoiding rattlesnakes has had to develop a quick, light step. He keeps his hat on until he is seated. Only after finding a secure chair for it to be placed on crown down, never brim down, does he take it off. When he does, slender strands of his silver hair glisten in the sun shining through a nearby window. Age becomes him, even at seventy. After some time, he pulls his handkerchief out of the back pocket of his blue jeans. His red bandana seems larger than he needs and less fashionable than the white dress handkerchiefs most men in town use, but he will not part with it. A few minutes later, he retrieves his favorite pocket knife from his blue jeans. The combination letter opener, scissors, knife, and nail file serves him well. He may glance at his watch occasionally. I suspect, however, that he measures time more in seasons than hours or days. He thinks not only of the four seasons, but those within them. These include ones for hunting deer and doves and for taking cattle to market. On his pale face are a few signs that he has spent a lifetime in the sun. A few wrinkles crease around his eyes, but seem as tiny and unnoticeable as the hills on the level plains on which he grew up. His high wide cheekbones reveal his German background. Hello, he says in reply to those who greet him as they pass by our table. His broad, friendly smile appears welcoming to those he knows and those he never met. His eyes seem the color of blue bonnets that grow everywhere this time of year. Though they have seen life's sadness, they still sparkle. His long slender fingers on his sturdy hands could tell the story of his life. With them he has pulled newborn calves into the world, ropes around horses, and his own children and children into his arms. He sits tall in his chair, like a sturdy Texas oak. What others may consider stoicism, I see is the composure needed not only against nature's disasters but man-made ones. From his healthy looks, no one would suspect that as a young child, as he told me once, he drank the milk of goats his father raised. He was unable to tolerate any other kind. He still holds his head up with pride. One can sense that, whatever he has experienced, he has made peace with life. His broad-shouldered but lean frame has been solid enough to hold him up over many a campfire, calving, 
and brand inspection. Only now does it appear to fill out a bit. Laughter comes easily to him. When prompted, he can quickly share a memory in an entertaining story. Most of the time, though, he listens. He knows that one helps himself and the person with whom he is communicating more by listening than by speaking. His low voice resonates with strength and tenderness at the same time. His speech keeps a listener's attention. His drawl, colorful expressions, and pronunciations reveal his personableness and wit. When he retrieves his wallet during conversation, one learns why he rarely needs to consult a phone book. The names and phone numbers of the most important people in his life, his grown children and oldest friends, are written on tiny pieces of paper he keeps in it. Perhaps because there are fewer of them now, they mean more. He reveals that he is well educated. He knows more breeds of cattle and ranch brands than most people have ever heard about. He knows the names of a hundred plants, snakes, and rocks. Country veterinarians, county extension agents, feed store owners, bootmakers, and others have mentored him. Ranching magazines and almanacs have been his encyclopedias. Daily newspapers, which have always seemed more trustworthy to him than television, have served as his primary source of information. Though he lives in a house in town now, he quickly grows uncomfortable staying inside for too long. He prefers being outside to see what is green and growing. Retired now, he drives out to the country when he can. Admiring another rancher's cattle and horses grazing in pastures satisfies him. Familiar sounds made by roosters, owls, and other birds comfort him. The fresh scent of newly mowed grass and hay and tilled fields that is carried in a lively breeze refreshes him. The car he now drives has long since replaced the pickup truck that he once owned. To him, it appears so empty. He no longer needs to carry what he once did, his toolbox, branding irons, veterinary supplies, a first aid kit, and extra rope. When I once rode along with him on one of his country drives, I saw cattle whose ribs protruded like poles under a circus tent. Calling them skinny, I quickly learned that cattle are thin, not skinny. He informed me, as well, that a steer is no ordinary cow. I soon realized that ranching, like every other occupation, has a vocabulary all its own. The extent of this was revealed on a visit we once made to a nearby farm and ranch implement store. I heard him identify by name every strange-looking tool and piece of equipment in it. I also saw him stop to appreciate the craftsmanship of the kind of silver spurs he once wore on his boots. On a visit with him once to a friend's ranch, I also learned some etiquette from him. One never asks others about the size of their land or their number of cattle. If they want you to know, they will tell you, he said. Though he easily recalls the past, he seems content with the present. There might be less adventure now, but fewer worries. An afternoon nap which he seems to enjoy more of late and a good night's sleep provide what an old him calls a pillow of dreams. Pleasant memories of everything he has ever loved now comfort him. He deserves the quiet but comfortable life he now leads. Like most retirees, he is free to spend his early mornings having conversation and coffee with friends at local restaurants. Afternoons are spent reading the daily newspaper or resting. Evenings find him watching television, listening to the radio, reading magazines, or speaking on the phone to his children. Being with his grandchildren brings great joy. He is their hero, friend, ally, and giver of gifts. They help him look forward, not back, as he thinks about their future. They make him proud of his children, their parents. As we talk during lunch, I understand the life lessons this cowboy has learned. The struggle between man and nature is one of the four types of conflict in fiction that most people study in school.
For ranchers, it is a way of life. Others may try to ignore the elements or flee from them. Cowboys know that the best way to end a war is for the lesser contender to surrender with dignity to their opponent. Some people fear the daily dangers of ranch life, the predictable and the unpredictable. Cowboys know that everything involves risks, but that they can be minimized. He is not so religious as to attend church regularly, but he always goes to the funerals of old friends. He is there for them and their families in death as they were for him in life. In doing so, he reveals his understanding that everyone has both faults and virtues. The former we may focus on too much in life, so the latter we should emphasize in death. With each friend's passing, he observes how land is transferred from one generation to the next or must be sold. In either case, those who remain have to accept change. This causes him to wonder what challenges God has planned for him. He has seen that whatever being God creates will not live forever, including him. Nature sustains all but outlives it. Life seems only a temporary relationship with earth until something more permanent can be worked out. On a ranch, he has found, fear is what saves a man, not makes him weak. There is no stream that cannot be crossed, but there are plenty that should not be. To be successful in something, one must make an earnest effort. The true worth of a cowboy or anyone else is not so much how long he lives, but how well he does so. Whether one leases land or owns it, it can nourish one's body and soul and win his heart. Land gives back what it receives in faithfulness and loyalty. Its unexpected pleasures are solitude, relaxation, and a perspective on life that one can only gain by living in the country. The land, he has observed, develops its steward more than its steward ever shapes it. Property has a way of requiring a person to be attentive, caring, and faithful. Nature is a great teacher, but not necessarily a forgiving one. When one neglects his duties, he can only ask for mercy, not justice. Anyone who works for himself can consider himself successful, according to this cowboy. He feels sorry for those in large cities who have to depend so much on others for their livelihood and happiness. By experience, he has learned that the ranching, though rewarding, can be difficult. One must always sacrifice money, time, and work. Such a life can build or break a person, as well as a marriage. His heart, broken often, has, like an old saddle, softened with wear. He has been snake bit once too often, like many people his age. He is more cautious about love than he once was. He has learned that the fences of relationships, like those on land, always need mending. A few are beyond it. He wisely knows that a simple life can be a happy one. The joys of family, friends, and honest work have always been what he has treasured. On a ranch, one does not have to leave home for entertainment. Humor abounds naturally with horned toads, kid goats, and nearsighted armadillos. Celebrations of birthdays, holidays, and successes remain important. They serve to uplift people and sustain them in between life's disappointments and tragedies. Friends make life bearable and enjoyable. He defines them as those who offer help without being asked or expecting anything in return. One does not have to be rich to be generous. In life, flexibility helps. He has learned to survive by developing new skills, working seasonal jobs, and bartering. Having been poor as a child, he knows poverty is no crime or shame but a condition. In an uncertain world, it happens to almost everyone sometime. One can be poor and virtuous, and wealth is no guarantee of character. He knows every living creature has its place, if not as man's companion, as his food supply. He has eaten eggs from chickens he has raised and staked from his own cattle. He has also judiciously hunted and eaten deer, rabbit, 
wild turkey doves, and even javelina. With love, he knows everything grows. This includes animals, people, and plants. The isolation of his work has taught him to pay attention. He has learned to know himself, his neighbors and strangers and what they needed from him, or could give him. To get along in this world, he has found that it helps to know another person's language and see the world from his viewpoint. When we ordered lunch today, he spoke Spanish to our waiter. As usual, he is eating Mexican food, the same as he ate as a child. To him, meals with enchiladas, tortillas, beans, chili, and rice with spicy red picante sauce are still what taste best, summer or winter. Somehow, they are substantial enough to warm one up in the winter but light enough to cool one down in the summer. As we say our farewells after lunch, I think of the wisdom and the saying that one should judge others not by what they have achieved, but by what they have overcome. Enduring the loss of land, love, and loved ones, as he has, seems such a feat. Time, fortunately, tempers memory with age. Thus, life will allow him to recall the best of what he has done. Mostly, he has tried to care about people in his state. Texas has been not only his place of residence, but his entire universe. What has happened there has, perhaps, not been all that has mattered, but it has been what has been most important. As he walks away, I sense his pace has slowed a bit. Aging seems to require this so that we have enough time to do our spiritual accounting. Like most of us, he has always done the best he knew how. When the ledger books of his life are finally examined, he hopes that his contributions outweigh his mistakes. When he considers what he is proudest of, I feel sure it will be what he loves most, his children. In his last days, I am sure that his final portrait painted by others will be one done with gentle strokes in the radiant golden shades of a Texas sunset. Jan Kilby is a writer in San Antonio, Texas.